Welcome to Identity Talk, a show dedicated to unearthing stories about compelling people, doing compelling things, and making compelling discoveries about who they are. I'm Jana Lopez, your hostess. Each episode of Identity Talk, you'll discover illuminating conversations with guests from all walks of life. My life's mission as a book coach, writing guide, and retreat leader is to guide people like you towards clarity and connection through writing. I blend experience and intuition to take your writing to unimaginable results in your creativity and productivity. I offer private and small group retreats in stunning Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm the published author of the acclaimed book, Me, My Selfie, and I. If it's time to unearth your own stories, write that book and need clarity, guidance, or support, visit JanaLopez.com. And now, let the unearthing of stories begin on Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. Good afternoon and welcome to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. I hope you're all having a good start of what's on the brink of summer. It's amazing, June. And here we are on the start of summer and that always creates so much hope and fun and potential. And so whatever it is that you're doing, I hope you are enjoying it. Today, my guest is going to uh, maybe surprise some of us, maybe uh, confuse some of us, and that's okay. Um, And I'm going to introduce him as Dane Morgan. And Dane Morgan has uh, a very interesting story, and we're going to talk more about it. But basically, When I met Dane, I saw a guy I would have imagined out in a cornfield in a pair of overalls in a very small town of Iowa, which is where he is from. And, um, you know, somebody that I would consider uh, upstanding, plain Jane citizen that you would come into a store and you would think there's there's Farmer Dane. (laughs) And then as we got to know each other and talk, it turns out that Dane has a very interesting, I don't want to say alternative life, because I would say it's part of your life, but he is a member of what we might call the BDSM community, kink community, and has a very robust life in this community. So BDSM, tell me what that stands for. All right, thank you, Jana. Uh, so, <laughs> so BDSM stands for basically bondage, discipline, uh, sadomasochism. There's a couple of different things that acronym can, acronym can stand for. Uh, it's basically uh, a kind of a catch-all for what would be a very broad kink community that Uh, is into what we refer to as an alternative lifestyle. Okay, and how do you feel when you hear somebody say that's on the outside of this community, refer to it as an alternative lifestyle? How does that make you feel? What comes up for you? Well, I used to think of it that way. It's really uh, such a major part of my life now that it's just part of my lifestyle. Uh, But we we kind of, within within the kink community, consider everyone that's not in it to be in the vanilla lifestyle. And this is what's alternative to the vanilla lifestyle. Okay, so, and we're gonna talk more about the comparisons, but before we do all that, I just wanted to give a little bit of background about you that, um, again, my perception when I first met you was cornfields in Iowa. And that was you know, what we had talked about initially before we actually started really talking but you've owned and operated three successful businesses. You've been in the professional service industry for 40 years. You um, do technical writing, light engineering, you teach, 
Uh, and, you know, you have a full range of things that you do in your professional life. And you were born and raised in a farm town in Iowa. And I think when we talked, you said the town had 1800 people. Is that right? Am I right? Yeah, that's, that's correct. It's a very small town. Yeah. So um, what was it like when when you and I had talked, you had said that you'd always known that this part of you was part of your beingness and your life. So tell me what, how you knew and what it was like to grow up in such a small town and have such alternative thoughts, feelings, beliefs, imaginations, fantasies. What was that like? Well, it was different. <laughs> For uh, most of my life, I felt like I was the only one in the world that felt the way I did. Uh, it wasn't until I was in my 50s that I found out that there's a, a very large community of uh, people that are into the, the this alternative lifestyle. But as far as me growing up in a small town and knowing about it, um, it was interesting because you knew everyone and everyone knew you. And so you had to be very careful. And, you know, I didn't share the, didn't share my, my thoughts, my desires, my dreams, whatever that I wanted in this, in this lifestyle with anyone, because I felt like it would be, you know, detrimental to myself, uh, which is unfortunate because I had to hide that for a long time, which was difficult. Uh, but yeah, it was it was harder probably than someone growing up in a large city uh, where there's, you know, you don't know everyone, you know, walks down the street and sees you. So it was harder. Um, and how would you describe some of the thoughts or feelings, you know, as a adolescent? How, how did you know? What were some of the things that started to tip off the fact that you might have something different going on yeah. uh, I tell people uh, when I first meet them that are in the lifestyle usually or if they ask me I tell them I've been kinky since I was 12 uh, it was just I remember uh, you know part of the kink community is well to start over there part of the kink community is you know possibly I uh, will talk about this a little bit more but into uh, maybe pain or or into submission or domination and things like that and I always uh, I always joke that my mom never could find her clothespins because I always hit them and used them on myself because I like the feeling and I like that sensation and that started when I was about 12 years old and if I think back even further uh, I guess I was even around at the age of around seven or so I was already having those kinds of thoughts and desires and and uh so it was quite young when i was when when i was acting out some of these things and and enjoying them i don't really understand the idea of equating pain to pleasure it feels like in my own perspective that something went went awry or wrong in a childhood thing that in order to receive some sort of validation or feeling of receptivity or love or something that that people who have been abused or people who have been sexually abused, you know, that's just my own perception. So it helped tell me how I'm right and I'm, or how I'm wrong. I think that's a very common perception. Uh, most people don't. I, my wife, for instance, doesn't understand why uh, uh, that I would enjoy receiving any sort of discomfort or pain. Uh, but it, it's a different, it's a, uh, the sensation then becomes part of a pleasure. And so it's, it's a little bit different, at least for me. Uh, and there's also a certain amount of the, of domination versus sub submission that comes into it. Some people are naturally submissive. Some are naturally dominant. We see this in the in the workplace every single day, right? And we see it in marriages every single day. It's just that in the BDSM or the or the um, you know the alternate lifestyle, we see that acted out uh, as a one person taking control of the other person and one person submitting to that other person. Uh, and sometimes that has. Uh, does have deep-rooted uh, childhood things. Maybe you had a, a strong father or a strong mother or 
or someone in your life impressed you or scared you or whatever. And all those things probably form into that. For me, I don't have any particular, you know, I don't have a traumatic childhood. I don't have anything that happened to me that, that would have caused me to want to do these things. Uh, it just is part of my being. I think, I think everyone has some dreams or some thoughts, uh, some fantasies of, of certain types of what we refer to as BDSM. Um, you know, a really common one is, you know, someone wants to be spanked, you know, maybe it's during sex, maybe it's not, but it just, that's one of those, that's a very vanilla, uh, very, very thin slice of what the BDSM community is about. But uh, when I talk to people that are not in the community at events where I do demonstrations and introductions to this, most of them, that's what they've, that's what they've fantasized about is maybe being spanked or maybe tied up. And that's part of all of this, but then it goes well beyond that much into many other different things. And there's as many different uh, types of activities or kinks that people um, want or desire that it's, it's an enormous number and it goes into, you know, really uh, uh, hundreds of different types of, of desires and fantasies. Uh, and in this community is a way to safely act them out uh, in a very safe environment and with other people who are like-minded. And so it's a very inclusive and very safe environment that we go into. And My vanilla way of thinking thinks when you're talking about exerting or receiving pain, automatically, I don't think that feels safe. The, the physical and emotional and imagination, sort of the intersection of those three things, the way it all comes together, because you described the clothespins and already having a feeling of that pain bringing you a sensation of pleasure. Is it physical? Is it mental? Is it like, what, what is it that happens? And I'm sorry, I'm jumping around, but there's so much here to unpack. Yeah, so so it's a little of both. Step back one step and, and say one thing about the, the pain side of it. It isn't always about pain. It isn't always about that. Sometimes it's about pleasure. Sometimes it's about a man dressing as a woman. Uh, sometimes it's someone that just wants to wear latex uh, or rubber suits or something like that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's whatever gives them a feeling of, of pleasure. So the pain side of it, going back to that, that can be, um, it's not so much the pain, it's the, we, we refer to it in the, in the uh, community as a sensation. So we have something we call sensation play within, within our community. And that can range every, anywhere from someone who is uh, just touching someone else to give them pleasure. It may be with different, uh, with objects that are maybe soft versus scratchy versus cold versus warm. And that's just sensation. When we get into more into uh, other types of play, including impact play, which somebody might think of being flogging or whatever, or whips, those are also sensation. You're receiving a sensation. It's not necessarily painful, uh, but it can be, and it can be pleasurable at the same time. So it's a very, very complicated uh, combination of things that happens. And part of it's psychological, but part of it's, uh, part of it's also physical. Because when you are receiving these types of, of uh, sensations, your body is reacting by releasing these, these good endorphins. Yes. And so it becomes a pleasurable experience. And so it's really interesting. I've taught, I do both bottoming and topping, which means that I both receive and give at different times. Uh, I'm a Gemini, so, you know, I should have both sides, right? Uh, so, so I find it, I find it very interesting seeing it from both sides of what we refer to as the slash. So it's BD and then slash SM, and it's just a, you're either a top or a bottom, and there's a slash in the middle, and, you know, if you're on one side or the other, you're on one side of the slash or the other, so. I want to add that you've been married for almost 50 years or over 50 years, right? oh, Almost 50 years, 47. Yeah, almost 50 years. I have met your wife. It was interesting to watch your interaction with her when we started to talk about this. So as a married man with children and having this life, this professional life and 
these small town connections. How did you reconcile this part of yourself within the construct of the life you've already had created? Well, I, I pretty much live my vanilla life as I always have. I, you know, I work it, I work uh, every day, you know, and I just, you know, I don't mix the two too much. Uh, it's kind of risky when you're in business for yourself, you know, because not everyone has an, an open mind and accepts things. And so uh, you have to be careful. Uh, I don't really share this information with with people that I meet on the street or people, you know, customers or anything like that. Uh, if I see someone, if something is said or something, you know, something kind of hints that there might be an interest in it or they've already explored this, it's really fun to talk about those things. But uh, but that can be a little risky. So I just kind of keep them separate. You know, my my vanilla life is, you know, usually during the daytime and homes in the evenings and things like that. And then certain evenings of the week where they go to a to a club and and we can, uh, you know, where it's all people of the same, uh, they all have the same mindset, all have the same interest. How did you tell your wife, explore this with your wife? How did that start to come up and, and become a thing? Yeah, that was interesting. We we were married for a number of years before I tried in the bedroom to introduce her to some things that I enjoyed, whether it was trying some things on her that I liked or trying to have her to do the asking her to do those things to me. And it was met with resistance. It was met with the general vanilla, you know, that's weird. Why would you want to do that? What are you thinking? I don't want to do that. And, and so I just backed off and respected her wishes. And, you know, from time to time, tried to talk to her about it, but she just wasn't interested. Uh, so I just kept it to myself. That was pre-internet and it was pre, you know, knowing about any kind of community at all. So I just kind of kept it inside and you know, didn't really, didn't really share it with anyone. But um, about 10 or 12, about 12 years ago, uh, she and I were um, apart for a few months helping our parents out, and I took that opportunity to uh, do some research on the internet. I found out there was a community, and I actually got to talking with someone online, the, a woman that uh, was in the community, and she thought we had some things in common, and we met, and we had dinner, and we talked, and she, one of the thing I remember most was she said, I said, I think I'm the only person that likes the stuff I like. I'm the only weird one out there. And she says, oh, you will not believe how big this community is. And it turns out she was very right. And I ended up meeting her a couple of times and we, what we refer to as played. Uh, we had a, um, uh, an interaction together with some of these, some of these uh, acting out some of these fantasies. And after I got to feel like, gee, this really is something I would like to do. I called my wife, we met. I actually told her about it and she was very supportive. She says, I've known ever since we were practically married that there was something that you needed in your life that I can't provide. And so it makes a very interesting dynamic um, because I do play with other women and, um, and, it's, and she has to trust me and, and I you know, have no interest of leaving her. It's just, this is a part of me that I want to explore and to enjoy and she supports that and I understand on a very concrete level that you and her have a very unique relationship she's the mother of your children you've had a whole lifetime together and the one thing she told me when we were talking is that when you had started to open up to her that she said she was happy for you she was I remember that so clearly it struck me as if I would love to have that kind of love someday where somebody loves me to that degree that they just want me to be fulfilled and happy and ego aside, jealousy aside, fear aside, whatever it is that, that, you know, and it, there's no judgment here at all. It just, it's just a surprise to me because it's not something I'm familiar with or used to, but Look, if I knew you were going out on a Wednesday and you were going out to do your thing and I would be like, I just don't know what I would do. So it takes a committed conversation, relationship and understanding. It, it does. It does. And, and the other thing I will point out is that, it, that just because I'm 
playing in the in the lifestyle doesn't mean I'm having sex with anyone. It's just acting out these fantasies, which may mean tying someone, tying up someone, or me being tied, or me being flogged, or whatever the situation, or me flogging someone, or whatever it may be. We're not the sex isn't involved most of the time in, in most of these relationships. Some are, some aren't, but most of them, I re, we refer to them as play partners. Um, so I have a half a dozen play partners. I've had three dozen play partners over the last 10 years, and you know, I haven't had sex with any of them. Uh, it's just, we're just acting out these, these desires, and these fantasies. So it's a little, it's a little different, you know, than going out with someone and having dinner and having sex and then coming home. That's a different situation. That's polyamory. And that's a little bit different. <laughs> okay. No, and that's good to know, but I'm just curious because you brought it up. Do you climax out of even though there's no sex uh there are certain situations where that's part of the scene but it usually isn't again it's a new word i haven't used in this interview yet which is which is scene uh the scene is whatever is uh talked about whatever is uh created and then that may last for an hour or two hours or three hours and during that time, you go through, do the, the things that you're going to do. And, and usually it doesn't involve uh, climax, but sometimes it does. That would be my ignorant assumption that because you're fooling around that there is sex and that there is orgasm and that that is the part of the sexual tension or element in it. But, but what you're saying is that it's not always included or part of this. Usually, usually not included in most play partner relationships. Now, if the play partners are, are also nesting partners, you know, they live together, that's different. Uh, it may be that that's the relationship that you built with someone, but, uh, but it isn't, it's, it's usually not, you know, most of the people I play with, it's, it's very casual. We know each other pretty well. It can get pretty intimate. Uh, there's usually one or both people are are naked or almost naked but it isn't necessarily you know it may be a little bit intimate a little bit sensual but it it ends there and and that's and then we part our ways and then we go home and so it's a it's a different kind of relationship most people can't really wrap their heads around so what is the fulfillment element of that what is it fulfilling in you when you have these situations so there's there's a there's a top side and a bottom side, a dominant side and a submissive side, right? So uh, being a switch, I see both of those sides and I experience both of those sides. So I can talk about each one kind of individually. So as a, I went into the lifestyle thinking I would only be a submissive, that, that that was all I wanted to do was submit to strong women. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, and that went on for maybe four or five years. And then I started being asked to top someone, to be a dominant to someone. And I tried it. I found out that there was a, an enjoyment factor there as well, something I enjoyed as well. So I do both now. So as a submissive, um, there's a certain, you know, if, if you are a submissive person or want to be a submissive person, you enjoy, you get pleasure from giving yourself to someone else in, under their control. Now, that's usually uh, already been uh, discussed and, uh, and has been, you know, there's, a, there's certain parameters within that. You don't just give yourself to someone that may cut your arm on the chainsaw. You, you trust that person. They trust, they, they follow your lead and, and go with what, what you want. Um, so there's a certain satisfaction to submitting if you're a submissive person to someone else. Uh, and letting them uh, give to you or to, uh, to, you know, to dominate you in some way. Uh, if you're a top or a dominant, there's a certain amount of good endorphins that come out from that as well, um, that where you, where you feel a, a kind of a euphoria, kind of a good feeling while you're administering these, these uh, sensations to someone else. And again, this can be anything from from just touch to flogging to tide to uh, wax play to electrical play. There's a lot of things. There's all kinds of different things. And everyone gets a certain enjoyment out of uh, all of those things. So there's a satisfaction on both sides. For a while, it took me a while to understand 
what the satisfaction was that the that the dominant was getting. But now that I've done both, I, I understand it because I get very I get very euphoric as well while I'm topping as well as when I'm bottoming. It's interesting because you talk about the element of trust. I want to just sort of explore this idea a little bit because when you are in such a vulnerable, I'm just imagining, let's say I'm in such a vulnerable place of submitting to someone saying, do with me what you will. I can imagine that there's something about losing control or giving up control or allowing a moment to unfold, whatever the sensations might be, could be a pretty invaluable lesson in some way for, you know, not the only equation I can give it to you is like when you take mushrooms or something, you are submitting to the whatever is going to come is what's going to come and it's going to unfold. We don't allow ourselves to lose control or give up control in too many areas of our life. There is, there's a, there's a lot of trust involved in this. Um, and uh, you have to trust the person. I've been told many times by people that ask me to top them, to dominate them, that they see me as a very trustworthy person. They don't trust just anyone right. to let them do that. Thing. And that that is very important. Um, and it, I, as a top, there's another, there's another, there's two, there's a couple times dominance. Okay. There's people, people who are dominant. There are people that are just sadists. So they just want to inflict pain on someone. And if you're a masochist, then those two work really well together because one just wants to receive pain and the other one just wants to give it. And that's a really, that's a match. That's a really good match. But then there's other people that just want to experience new things and try new things, new fantasies they've had. And they need someone who's not just going to do whatever they want to to them, but to do the things that they want to have done to them so they can experience them. And that is referred to as a, uh, a service top. And that's what I consider myself is that I negotiate with this person. What do you what are you looking for? What do you want? What what would you what have you always wanted to try? And we negotiate that. And then I try to give them what they want. And that develops a very trusting relationship. Um, so I get pleasure from getting them getting pleasure from what I'm doing to them uh, and whatever that may be. So um, it is negotiation is really important. And the, the one thing that most people don't understand, I want to bring it up while I'm thinking about it, is that most people would, if they, I don't, if a lot of people have seen Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, which is a very, uh, or read the book, which is a very vanilla view of what the BDSM and kink world is all about. Uh, I've watched the movie and it's, yeah, it's not completely accurate, but it's a good introduction for most people as to what that might be. Um, but one thing that, that made my wife feel comfortable, I'll, I'll go back one step. When I first started seeing a dominatrix, uh, she was my mistress for about four years. I saw her about twice a month. We spent about three or four hours uh, in an evening or an afternoon together. Uh, at first, she would just say, she, as I walked out the door, she would say, please be careful. And then she, because she thought I was in some sort of peril or danger, I could be injured or hurt or something. And then she went with me to the club uh, that I'd been going to, and she met some of the people and she saw some of the scenes and she realized that it's not the top who's really in control, it's, it's the submissive because there's always a safe word involved. And if it gets beyond where this person is comfortable with, one word and the scene is over. It stops at that moment. And what she realized that from that point on, she said, whenever I'd walk out the door, she'd say, go have a good time. She wasn't worried about me anymore because she knew as a, as a submissive or a bottom, I was the one that was in ultimately was in control of the situation. I would think when they're such heated or intensified or electrified, energy being exchanged, do people ever go beyond the safe word? No, uh, it, it can happen when you're pray, playing in private. Uh, if you're just playing one-on-one -on -one in someone's home or something like that, 
But when I go to the dungeon club, uh, there's always a dungeon monitor there. And if they hear the word red, which is the safe word for the club, they are over there. And even if the even if the top wants to keep going, it's it's over. It's done. The scene is ended. So it's monitored. It is monitored. That's why it's such a safe environment. Like hall it's monitor, just, you know, someone's yeah, a hall monitor with a big stick. Yeah. yeah, that's affirming to know. And how do you go about finding a dominatrix? Like what what does one do when they're on the search for a dominatrix? And how would you know you found the right one? It's it's interesting. I, I went online and I did some searching and I found several and I spoke with them first through texting or well, through messaging and then texting and then uh, I just kind of settled on one that I thought seemed seemed to have a, a really good personality that I thought I could like, that I thought I could trust. I met with her. Um, we discussed my desires and we had a small scene and I really liked the energy. You mentioned energy, which was really good. I want to come back to that. Um, but uh, I ended up uh, really enjoying that. We had a wonderful relationship and still do. We're still, I haven't seen her as a dominatrix for four years, but I'm still friends with her. Her birthday was just the other day. <laughs> I reached out to her to wish her happy birthday. Uh, we're friends now. And I mean, it's just, it's amazing the closeness that you get with people. But you mentioned energy and it is an energy ex exchange that's happening. Um, you are, if you're a good top uh, with a good connection to the person that you're topping, there's an incredible amount of energy that's exchanged. Uh, and that's part of the experience is uh, it's very, very, that's why it's so, it can be so intimate because there is a lot of energy exchange and there's so much trust. I've played with this one, uh, uh, this one lady uh, now twice and we already are really seeing quite a connection and uh, uh, and we're already discussing and negotiating how we'll, you know, do for scenes in the future because we're both enjoying it very much. I would have a hard time turning that switch. You talked about this dominatrix and my guess is they see you at your most vulnerable and most private. And here you are doing whatever it is you desire to do. And then the scene is over, the engagement is over, the play is over, and then you're talking about bake sales and birthday cards. How does that switch happen between being so incredibly intimate and vulnerable and, and revealing this private part of yourself and then shifting into what is an everyday modality of mundanity? That's a really good question and a great insight. So after a scene, okay, so a scene has been negotiated. We find a spot, we go into the club, we do the scene for an hour and a half or whatever. And when we're finished, there's a, something called aftercare. And in, during that time, we go over to a couch or a bed or a, somewhere where we can just rest and, and sit together, usually the top and the bottom, snuggle together, lay together, sit together, discuss what just happened, talk about it. Uh, what did you like? What did you not like? How do you feel? And then there's a, and then that usually that can last as long as the scene. I mean, that can last 10 minutes. It can last an hour and a half uh, until you're both feeling kind of back connected again and ready to stand up and go pick up and move on with your life. And then there's a, we usually reach out the next day of the, for a couple of days to make sure that the other person, that they're both feeling okay, because there's something called a drop that happens. It's like going to a amusement park and just having a great time. And then the next day you're just, you're back to your office and you're just kind of down. Well, it's kind of the same thing. You've expended a lot of energy and you've this, had this euphoric moment and then you have this sort of drop, this physiological drop that happens. And, um, and that, it, we even discussed that after our last, uh, uh, the last um, uh, writing uh, encounter that we had with you was that we came back and felt a drop because we were so excited to get to writing and we came back to the real world and, and it's the same kind of drop. We, we feel tired. Sometimes you feel uh, you feel a little bit disconnected or whatever. And so there, you just check in with the other person to make sure they're drinking plenty of water, just you know, hydrating and 
and you know just feeling you know get, get past that and then you feel good and uh, so there's a there's a lot of connection there that's why it's important to have a connection with somebody and not just pick someone and start doing these things because there has to be some common interest there has to be some connection there has to be trust there has to be a lot of things that happen i meet hundreds of people i mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people every year at the club and i only connect with five or six that closely uh, and you know they find other people that they connect with. that also is something i think is a misperception that most people on the outside wouldn't really know or think about is that it is a relationship it is based on trust it is based on these other things that most relationships you would want where you would be vulnerable would would require you talking to a therapist being with me in a writing situation circumstances where that could be applied what do you think it is that makes it so unbelievable or or there's so much judgment that you know in this context that that it's different what do you think it is about this context that makes that different i think it's just the like-mindedness of the people that are there i mean you can't walk into a you know a party that a friend's throwing and start talking about these things and have people just accept it and understand it i mean the most of the conversations I have like you and I are having right now happen at a club uh, at one of these dungeon clubs, one of these BDSM clubs where the people that are there are already there for that reason, because they're curious. or they're already in the lifestyle. Uh, I will. We talked a little bit earlier about the size of the community that this 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 king community, um, the lifestyle club that I go to, the BDSM club that I go to. Uh, it's about an hour and 15 minutes from me, and I've been going there for eight years now. It's been in existence for 10 years. And pre-COVID, we were getting about 200 new members every month. Wow. And they were coming from all walks of life. Uh, the upstairs, we, we're in the lower level of a building that used to be a church. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Which we, which we absolutely love, by the way. And the, uh, the people that own this building have a, uh, a dance club upstairs and they do square dancing and they do all kinds of, you know, whatever they, all the kinds of dancing that they do. And once in a, and every, they know what we do because we rent the space from them. And it's perfect, everything's perfectly legal. It's above board and they're happy with us because we always pay our rent and we don't give them trouble and everybody gets along once in a while. Somebody come that goes to the dance club gets curious and they come down and see what our club is all about. Uh, so you just never know who it is that's going to walk in the door. You might see this couple in their early 20s. You may see a single guy in his 50s. You may see a couple in their 70s walk in that have never been in a club like this before. And they're just like, we just really curious about what happens here. Uh, so they have to attend. You always have to attend an orientation before you were able to come to a play party, uh, to an event. So yeah, that's... and I want to share this too because it's yeah. just something I know about you, is that you really do care about helping provide the education and helping people feel normalized or safe or welcomed because of the struggles that you have had. When we talked, you told me that up until ten years ago or so, that ninety nine percent of your life was hidden and you really only lived 1% of your life. And that has always stayed with me about how sad that really is to go through life, never being yourself or being expressed and how difficult that must've been. And so aside from living a hidden life and feeling dirty or feeling like there's something wrong or you know, all those things, the shame, the guilt, the worry, trying to hide the people you might know in your community. And then to go through all that, if you could talk a little bit about that element and then segue into why it is you feel compelled to offer this service and help others. Yeah, I, I, I think you touched on a lot of really good things there. You know, the shame, the guilt, the, the, uh, the feeling, feeling dirty, feeling weird, feeling like I was alone in the world uh, was a was a major part of my life because it was so important to me. It was something I wanted so badly and I couldn't have. 
uh, until about 10 years ago. And when I discovered that, I realized that, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. I'm able to actually be who I am now. And I, I can still be my vanilla person. That hasn't changed at all. But now I can let out this other side of me, the, the part that wants, I mean, it'd be like someone who, who um, makes cookies all day or donuts all day. And then they really want to be a race car driver, right? To get the thrill of that. And they never have the opportunity until one day they do. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And that's what I went through. And so I want people to feel comfortable with that. I, I We have something in our club called patching. And patching is just that a lot of us wear a, a leather vest. And on the back, on the back is this big uh, um, patch that they give you that is the is the club logo. And that's an honorary thing. You don't, not very many people are patched and they don't get that honor. And I was patched just pre-COVID and, and I did a lot of volunteering at the club, but really the reason that, that the owner just decided I was worthy of that was because at every, at every party that I was ever at and still am today, I am seeking out those that look uncomfortable and look like they want to be there to figure it out, but they're afraid of being there and they're afraid of what they're gonna see or what they're gonna hear or what's gonna happen. And I seek those people out and, and try to make them feel comfortable. And I do, uh, outside of the club, I do uh, presentations and tastings at like swing swingers parties and things like that, because that's a close sort of connection between singers and swingers and BDSM people. There's a lot of crossover there in those things. But a lot of the swingers um, that, that are out there and do with the normal swinging that you've heard about since the 60s, where the couples go out and they, they have sex with other people. That's, that community kind of crosses over in the BDSM community a lot. So I do a lot of demonstrations and, and presentations at these type of clubs and parties and stuff like that to try to introduce to, to the people that are just curious about it what this might be really like. Um, so I, I find that a lot of enjoyment in in seeing the response of these people when they realize that, wow, that's not near as scary as I thought it was. <laughs> it's really, really sounds cool. And they start coming and they realize that it's, it's a lot of fun. Has anybody ever been affected in the opposite direction where they're like, holy shit, this is really weird. This is not for me. Yeah, absolutely. It happens a lot. Yeah. And so uh, we had a lady come to the club one time years ago, uh, several years ago that came with a, a friends of hers and she um, sat there in the, in the in the dungeon watching what was happening for a while i kept swinging by and checking on her and seeing how she was doing and i finally asked her i says do you see anything that looks fun to you or what do you think about all this and she says all i see are women being beaten and i said wow it's too bad you weren't here last saturday because you would have seen me be being beaten <laughs> and so it's just it, it is just a, a, a perception perception that people have is that why are these people enjoying being hit with a flogger or whatever? And it's just until you experience it, you don't understand. And some people, my wife would hate it. She says, no, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> but some people, a lot of people say, ooh, that's kind of nice. I like that. I think it brings up a lot of psychological perceptions. I mean, I can't think of anything more charged with potential perception rivers than this, because you could have religion, you could have feminism, you could have racism. There could be so many layers of social perceptions and struggles and inequalities, I think, that people are impacted by. This could be triggering and traumatizing, I would think. Yeah, there are some people that use BDSM as a release from stress, and there are some people that have to stay away from certain aspects because it triggers things. Our particular club is located in a city with a very large uh, number of military people that come and go all the time. And we have a very large percentage of our, a large percentage of our membership that are military people. Some of them are seeking a release from things, but others have to stay away from things where PTS, it triggers their PTSD. So yeah. we just, they just have to understand that and they have to avoid those things. Uh, and so there, there's a, there's a saying in our, in, in BDSM community that, you know, your kink may not be my kink and that's okay. And so we're open-minded and we say, I see that, I don't care for it. I'm just going to walk away from it. Or I see that I'm really interested in that. I want to try that. 
uh, or uh, tell somebody about something you like and they say, oh, I can never do that. I say, that's cool. Doesn't matter. Has there ever been anything that you've come across that you've been like, wow, that's really weird or wow, that's too far out there. Wow, where did that come from? Or where you found yourself actually maybe having an initial reaction or judgment? Nothing to the point where I was, let's say, uh, upset about it, but things that I don't, wouldn't like because of certain things that I don't like personally. Right. Um, so there would be things that I would stay away from. You know, there's there's all kinds of things that I don't understand because I don't have those feelings. You know, right. if a person has a, a desire to pretend to be a, a dog, you know, pony, you know, those are those are kinks, right? Another person likes to be, have wax, hot wax done on. Another person would say, I could never do that. And it's just, what, what, is, what is it? Why is it in their psyche that they like that thing? We don't know, uh, but we support it and we encourage it. And we, we, well, we enjoy it if we enjoy it and we stay away from it if we don't. It's a very, it's a very loving and a very caring and a very trusting uh, community. Very much so. And very protective too. Very protective of each other. And how you found me is because you hope to write a book about your life in this world to help offer some education and insight and support for people who may want to become themselves within this context or in this lifestyle. And um, I think that's very admirable and lovely and uh, it feels like you have many different ways that you can talk about this from a social perspective, a personal perspective, a relational perspective, a tactical perspective, because so much of us out here on this side of the fence don't know. Yeah, uh, it's it is something I would like to, I've started it. I've started the book. I just, but I, I need to, you know, you're, you're going to help me. <laughs> You'll be able to help me help write it, but it is, it is to kind of help people understand what it's about. Um, and it helps me. It's, it, we were, we refer to it as a journey. Uh, I, when I first saw that posted on someone's, um, uh, on someone's profile, that they were uh, in their journey uh, through the BDSM or the Pink King community. I didn't understand because I thought I knew where I was. I thought I knew I was right where I wanted to be. But what I found was that most people do go through a journey in, in this and they come into it for one reason, but they may find themselves drawn to other areas like me, always thinking I'd be submissive. Now, all of a sudden, I'm really enjoying being dominant. And so that's almost becoming more of a part of my life than the submissive side. And so I find that very interesting. But I do want people to understand that it's not just freaks and weirdos. It's not freaks and weirdos that like this stuff. It's everyday people. It's it's people, I think we're taught to to, uh, to put those, stuff those feelings away to, to, those are bad feelings. Don't think about those things. And and what we find is that, that that's very damaging to, to people's psyche and to their, and to their uh, mental health, uh, if they if they are just told that that's bad and that they shouldn't be thinking those things, um, as long as it's done in a healthy and safe environment in a healthy and safe way, and no one's being, you know, murdered, <laughs> you know that's not what this is about. This is this is about enjoying something and, and releasing something and. Uh, 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 living a part of your of your being that that you've been holding back on, perhaps. So I think that's what's really important about it, is to get out the word that the message that you know if you have if you have things you want to do in your life, you know you shouldn't be ashamed to try to seek those out. Well, is there anything else you think that we on this side of perspective that you'd want to share with us, Dane, before we close yeah i will tell you what i've heard several hundred times <laughs> at the club when i've been there new people have come in they say this isn't as scary as i thought it would be this is a lot more controlled and managed than i thought it would be this is you people are beautiful you're friendly you're caring and i feel comfortable here and 
So my, my message, I guess, or my thought would be to, if you're ever, if anyone is thinking, I would like to explore this, but I'm afraid to try it. Don't be afraid. The first time I walked into the club, I was scared to death. And within 20 minutes, I, I all I could think was I'm home. I'm home. This is where I belong. And it's, it's just a community feeling. It's people care. They're, they're thoughtful. They, they want to know you. Uh, they want, you just find your, your comfort zone in there. You don't have to be afraid to try things. Um, whether it's online and reaching out to people or whether it's going to a club, uh, whatever it may be, usually the clubs are the safest places because they are monitored and they are, uh, there we've, you know, there's been people that are not allowed to come back anymore because they were, they were stalkers or they were, uh, they were considered to be not safe people to be around. So they're not allowed to come back anymore. Um, so that's, that's very, very important is, is keeping that safety, the consensual part of it. That's the other thing that vanilla people don't realize is it's called consensual. Nothing and nothing is done in a club atmosphere that isn't consensual. So those are really important facts to keep in mind. All right. Well, I appreciate your willingness and candor to have such an informative conversation. And as we've talked about, I'm happy for you that you're finding new ways to express yourself and the writing element will help you further your own exploration and conversation with yourself about uh, who you are, you know? And I feel like that's important, however it shows up. So I look forward to hearing more as uh, you continue to explore. Thank you, Jan, I appreciate this opportunity. It's great seeing you again. Thanks for listening to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. If now's the time to unearth your story or you just have to write that book, don't let fear or overwhelm stop you. Reach out. I'm here to help you achieve your creative writing dreams. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on this show, share it with someone you think is in need. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. Hey, reach out. Find me at janalopez.com. Janalopez.com